So with that, Christmas, we cannot talk about Christmas without talking about presents. Like, that's just part of it, right? Some people are like, no, 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 the reason for the season is Jesus. Totally get that, totally get that. Um, and yes, I most certainly agree with that. But gifts are a big part of it. And the part for Becky and I, so when we do gifts for our kids, I'll tell you, the, the most joyful part of what Becky and I get to do when we give our kids gifts is we give them the gifts, and then we just sit back on the couch and watch them annihilate everything. I mean, it's a blast, right, parents? And, and I don't know if you're the parent that's like, no, we're each going to take turns, and we're going to use this wrapping paper next year. If so, maybe you don't listen to this part because I'm going to stress you out. But we love, love watching them just go crazy and ripping all the, pre all the wrapping paper and digging into it. They're so surprised. They're so excited. They're so thankful. There's a joy of not just giving gifts. There's a joy, obviously, of receiving. But then there's also a joy of just watching, right? There is a joy of seeing what that gift does to the person receiving it. Like you, you take a bunch of pictures. Becky and I take a bunch of pictures on Christmas, and we love reminiscing and going back over the years. I'll share with you, I did not get her permission, so my, my uh, daughter's not in here, thank goodness. So this was a picture of her several years ago. She was super, super little, as you're going to see. But that's like what joy is to me. Right, when I think of just that big grin, that open mouth, that excited, surprised look, I don't even know like what toy she's super excited about, but she's like, a pink thing! She's so thrilled, and you can just see on her face, it's that childlike joy of everybody knows she's joyful. Everybody that would look at her, <laughs> look at that photo, knows she has joy, and it came from a gift that we had given her. And I say that because, yes, we're going to focus on Jesus, but can I focus today just a little bit on the gift that we've been given? And we, we've been talking a lot about joy and where joy comes from, how we hold on to it. We'll do that again today. But the question I want kind of on the front of your minds this morning is, well, what's my response to the gift I've been given? What, does my joy look like that? Is my joy evident? Does my joy show? Is my joy obvious to the people around me? Because we have been given the greatest gift humanity could ever ask for. Didn't even know what to ask for. And we've been given the greatest gift. We've been told the best news. And as we're going to see this morning, the shepherds are going to respond to hearing that news for the first time. And for many of you, it's not hearing the good news for the first time. Some of you, this might be the first time you've heard it this way. But regardless of whether it's the first time or the hundredth time you've heard the good news, may we respond with joy. So with that, if you got your Bible, we are going to be in Luke. Luke chapter 2 is where the story of the shepherds are. Again, be looking for specifically joy. Where does joy show up in this story? And how do they respond to the news? What does joy look like for the shepherds? If you don't have a Bible, uh, right outside in the lobby, uh, coffee, cafe, all that area, go ahead and grab your Bible on your way out. That's our gift to you. If you do have your Bible, open it up so we can follow through and you can read it with me. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Here's the story of the shepherds. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Then suddenly an angel of the Lord among, appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord surrounded them. And they were terrified. If you hear last week, we see that is a very common theme. Every time an angel shows up, humans freak out. So the first thing that angels have to do... Don't be afraid. That's what happens here. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. And he said, and here's the famous line. He said, I bring you good news 
that will bring great, say it with me, great joy, great joy to all of people. And then verse 11, he goes through and he begins to explain, here's what this good news is. Here's why this news is so good. Verse 11, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Then suddenly the angel was joined, not just by himself, but by a whole vast host of others, the armies of angels praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. There's the beginning story. And we get that line, and this is where I want us to focus this morning, is on that first thing outside of the do not be afraid. The first part of that, the angels told the shepherds, I bring you good, what? I bring you good news of great joy, and it's for everyone. Good news that will bring great joy to all people. Man, that is such an incredible line. It's that line that changes the course of history. But to really get excited about good news, we really need to understand what makes that good news so good, right? This kind of almost feels a little bit like somebody coming to you and saying, I've got good news and bad news, right? It feels a little bit like that. Now, obviously, throughout the Christmas story, there's this focus on the good news, but please hear this. The good news is only good news if you know you need good news. I know that was a little complicated. Let me say it one more time. Good news is only good news if you understand your need for that good news. In other words, good news without the bad news isn't really good news. It's just news. But if you're aware of the bad news and then you're told of the good news, it brings great joy. I still see some confused faces. Let me say it a different way. If I had $10 and I went to a very rich person and I said, I've got some really good news for you, rich person, here's $10. That rich person is going to respond just like you did. Like, uh, thanks, but I'll, I'll manage. Thanks, but I'm good. You don't need to give me your $10. I've got a lot of $10. Like, I'm good. Thank you, though. That was very nice of you, but thanks. Like, that rich person most likely would either, either just accept it out of obligation just to be cordial and polite, or that rich person would just straight up refuse. Like, no, no, really, it's okay. I don't need it. Not very good news for a rich person, is it? If I go to a very, very poor person and I say, I've got some good news for you. I have a $10 bill for you. I promise they're not going to laugh. They're going to be thrilled. They're going to be ecstatic. They're going to be thankful. They're going to receive it and put it to good use. Right? When we understand the bad news, then we begin to understand just how good this good news is. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, there's this long list at the beginning of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and he goes through them, and they all begin with blessed are, blessed are. We now call them the Beatitudes. Great reading if you want to go through it this week. The very first one Jesus talks about is blessed are the poor in spirit. And what Jesus is helping us understand is he's saying blessed is the one or joyful is the one that recognizes their need for him. That's what poor in spirit means. Not talking physically poor. He's talking about poor in spirit, and I recognize I am deprived. I recognize all that I don't have. I recognize all that I can't do. And spiritually speaking, I can do nothing about my salvation on my own. Without a savior, I can't do anything. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. So when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the ones who recognize the bad news. 
Blessed are the ones who recognize that they are desperate for a Savior. Blessed are the ones who need the good news. So going back to that line, good news that brings great joy. And this great joy is for all the people. That bad news is what helps us celebrate and understand the greatness of that good news. Let me give you a few other bad news, good news verses here. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Here's the bad news. The bad news is for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. The very next verse, verse 24. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sin. Bad news, everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short. No one can earn salvation on their own. There's the bad news. Good news is God gave us his son, Jesus. And it's only through Jesus that we are given grace. Romans chapter six, verse 23. Bad news, good news. Let's do the bad news first. Bad news. For the wages of sin is death. Thank God for the good news though. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Again, bad news, we've all sinned. Bad news, the penalty for that sin, the wages of that sin is death. Bad news, we cannot do anything about that on our own. Good news, God sent his son, Jesus. Good news, Jesus paid for that sin through the sacrifice on the cross. Good news, God made himself like us, fully God, fully man to be Jesus, to walk perfectly to live amongst us, to teach us, but ultimately to save us. Good, good news. In order to be appreciative and to truly understand the scope of the good news, we also have to understand the bad news. Don't miss that. It's for all people, though. right? This, this good news of being saved, this good news of Jesus coming for us is not just for the shepherds. It's not just for the, the time and the people. It's not just for the people that know God. It's for all people because every single one of us need Jesus. That's what's so great about this good news. The good news of Jesus brings great joy for everyone because everyone needs Jesus. We are all poor in spirit. The question is, do you realize you're poor in spirit? We all need a savior. The question is, do you recognize your need for a savior? We all need the good news, but do you also recognize the bad news? Because without Jesus, it's just all bad news, right? If Jesus never came into the world, it's just for the wages of sin is death, period. Without Jesus, it's just all have sinned. Everyone have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard, period. Again, all bad news. But because of Jesus, we have good news for great joy, and it's for everyone. Now, from that, what do the shepherds do? So that gives us a lot of context and the story of the shepherds hearing about the good news. Now, what do they do with the good news? They heard about the good news, and now they are filled with joy. We're told that it brings great joy for everyone. That includes the shepherds. So the next part of the story is what the shepherds do with the good news. Because they heard the good news, they're aware of the bad news. They now know the good news. Now it's given them joy. And like you saw in my daughter's picture several years ago, joy is obvious. Joy is evident. There's an excitement and a desire deep in our hearts, and that is shown throughout the way that we live. So as we go through the next part of the shepherd's story, look for not just, hey, they have joy, but notice how their joy is seen, how their joy is lived out, and how other people begin to see the joy that they have from the good news. Here's the next part, verse 15. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem, let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. 
So they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. They were amazed. They were in awe. I love how joy was contagious. They were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Lastly, verse 20, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And it was just as the angel had told them. So they're minding their own business, doing their job, an everyday job, and God shows up, sends an angel to show up and tells them about this good news that will bring great joy for all people. Now that they've heard the good news, they have this joy, and we see that joy be evident in how they lived their life and what they did next. So what I want us to do is we're going to walk through kind of each of those. There's several things that the shepherd specifically did that shows what joy looks like. So for us, like that's what I want us to begin to wrestle with. If we know the good news, we're aware of the bad news, and we know the good news, well, what does it look like for us to live out that joy? Because as believers, as Christians, we should be the most joyful people on the planet, recognizing the bad news, the severity of the bad news, but then told of this good news where we are saved. Church, we should be the most joyful people on the earth. So let's see how the shepherds handle this. The first thing they did, after the angels left, they could have said, huh, that was weird, all right, back to the sheep, <laughs> right? They could have said, wow, that sounds awesome. I wonder what's going to happen. Like they could have, they didn't have to go. Technically, they're not even commanded to go. They chose to go and see more. They chose to see what God was doing and what God was talking about. The word I'm going to use is pursue. They pursued more. We know the shepherds didn't understand everything. They did not have a full grasp and scope on what this exactly meant, that this Messiah was born. I'm sure that they had heard the stories of the prophecies. I'm sure they were raised expecting a Messiah at some point in the future. They knew some of it, but they didn't know how this all fit together. And we know that based on their response. They said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. And here's the next part. This is the dead giveaway. Let's see this thing that has happened. Now, Ladies in the room, if somebody has a baby, I would guarantee you that none of you ladies would say, let's go see this thing that happened. Men, men that might identify kind of like with shepherds here, a little rough around the edges, you're probably going to say like, that was weird. Like, let's go see that. What was it again? Boy, girl, it, it, let's go see this thing. I don't even know what, what to call it right now. Like, they don't know what to do with it. They don't have a great grasp and understanding. And you can tell by their language, there's a lot they don't know. But not knowing caused them to pursue more. Man, let that, let that hold on to you. The lack of knowing, more of the uncertainty, caused them to pursue more. Because of the good news that they had been told, they wanted more. They wanted to know this child. They wanted to see him for themselves. They wanted to find out the truth and find out more. They pursued to go and find out more. The same is true for us. Because of the good news, pursue him. Because of the good news that you know of, because of the good news that we hear from Scripture, pursue him more. I have no doubt you have a lot of questions about God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, the Bible. Like, I have questions still. What do those questions cause us to do? I hope, like the shepherds, those questions that we want to know about God and those questions we're not sure of about God or his word, that those questions would move us to pursue him more. 
The shepherds didn't fully understand. They didn't have a complete grasp on what was happening, so they wanted to find out for themselves. May that be us. Because of the good news, let me dig into Scripture deeper. Let me grow in my relationship with God and continue to pursue Him more. Let my questions move me to pursue. Let me give you two uh, online resources because, like, seriously, content is not the problem. Like, what you're doing today is great. Like, we show up on a Sunday, we open God's Word. I prayerfully hope that you walk away with at least some reminders or maybe you did learn something new. But this is for, like, 30 minutes once a week. What does it look like to continue to pursue him throughout the week? Because content is out there. Now, let me say my disclaimer. You always need to be uh, wise with where you're getting your content. Just because somebody says it online or just because you hear it on stage doesn't mean it's true. Open up God's word for yourself and do that with me. Here's what Brian said. Does that actually say that? That's why I tell you to bring this so you don't have to just take my word for it. Well, he said it must be true. <laughs> you don't know me very well. Uh, I mean, I do my best, but I'm not perfect. <laughs> Some of you got real nervous right then. Get a Bible and read it for yourself. Yes. But just because you see it online, well, so-and-so's got a doctorate. That must be true. Like, dig in for yourself and ask questions. Let me give you, with all that being said, let me give you two good resources that I use regularly. Still, you need to have some discernment, but two good resources. One of them is a, web a website called Got Questions. Go to Got Questions, and literally, you type in a question, and there's going to be some good biblical explanation for that question. So dig in. Let your qu questions move you to pursue Another great resource is Bible Project. Bible Project, these two guys that do a phenomenal job of really helping you understand not just the content, but also the context and the culture of what it was written. So when Jesus told this parable, like, why did he use that language? They help you understand. They do a great job. There's long videos, there's short videos, there's long podcasts, there's all kinds of great tools and resources where you have questions, make sure you're pursuing God with those questions. Just like the shepherds, you don't have to know everything, but can you pursue him? So after they pursued, notice how they pursued. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. Now that idea there of hurried, typically we just think, well, that's talking about how quickly they moved their feet. Now, the, again, content, context, and culture, that word is more than just they moved fast. There's more to that word hurried implied here, and the author's intending for us to read into not just how fast did they move from the fields to Bethlehem? There's more to that idea of hurried. Let me explain it this way. So uh, in our family, three kids, 10, 7, and 6 years old, Monday through Friday, mornings are a nightmare for us. I mean, they're just terrible, right? Trying to get the kids awake and get moving. Mondays are worse, as you could imagine. None of my kids pop up out of bed saying, good morning, mother and father. I've made you coffee and breakfast. We're ready for our day today. <laughs> None of my kids have ever done that. And I don't think that's ever going to happen. I don't expect that to ever happen. Becky and I wake up earlier than everybody else, so we get ourselves going, and then we go to the dreaded rooms, and we flip on the lights, and we flip the lights on and off and on and off and on and off. And then we turn on music, and we pull covers off. We do everything we can, push them out of bed, say, it's time to wake up. You've got to get going. And every single time in each of our kids' rooms, every single morning, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they all say, can I just have five more minutes? I'm just so tired. And I can never get them up well, right? That happens every single day throughout the week. However, they don't move fast, obviously. However, something fascinating happens on the morning of December 25th. 
and I cannot figure it out. For some reason, all the other days, it's me dragging them out of bed. But on this one unique morning, they are up well before me and Becky to the point of where Becky and I are the ones saying, I just need five more minutes. Give me a few minutes. They're up. They are dressed. They are brushed teeth. They have put on nice clothes and combed their hair. I'm like, what is happening? We didn't even ask you to do that. <laughs> Somehow they wake up excited and they wake up quickly and they wake up well. And as soon as we finally get our bearings and wake up, then they bolt down the stairs. So yes, my kids on Christmas morning, they do move fast, but it's, just, it's not just about the speed of their feet. There's something exciting inside of them, right? That's what causes them to move fast. They woke up early because of anticipation. They are excited, and so they do everything they need to do with a totally different attitude and a totally different speed. It's not just about how fast they go. It's also about the excitement or the joy and the anticipation that's going on inside of them. That's what's happening with the shepherds here. It's not just, we got to get there super fast so we can get back to these sheep. It's not that. It's, we've heard this good news, and we don't fully understand it, so we want to know more. In fact, we want to know so much more. There's joy that's starting to overflow and overwhelm them, and that overflowing joy typically translates into fast pace. I want to get there. I want to see this. I'm so excited. I can't wait. Let's get there now. Let's leave everything behind, because they had to do that to go to Bethlehem. They had to leave their flocks. They had to leave their sheep. They had to leave some things to hurry because of the joy and the excitement. May that be us because of the realities of the bad news and us hearing and knowing the good news. May we hurry to him. Not necessarily talking about how quickly you get to church, but do you wake up longing to spend time with him? Do you wake up in anticipation to be in the presence of God? If you grew up in the church, you've probably heard or are familiar with this old hymn. It comes out of Psalm chapter 42. Listen to the hurry language. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? That's the heart of hurry. Oh, I long to be with you. I can't wait to be in your presence. God, I want to hear from you, and I want to share with you. God, I can't wait. When do I get to be closer? That's the heart and the posture of hurry all because of the good news. Because of the good news, hurry to him. Hurry to him. We hurry to so many other things, to so many other places, for so many other reasons. Do we hurry to our Savior in anticipation and excitement, ultimately with joy? Because of the good news, hurry to him. The next thing we see is interestingly enough, it's not as much about uh, the time that the shepherds spent with Jesus and Mary and Joseph. Like we're told they found them, but there's not a lot of context or content around them actually meeting Jesus, which is kind of interesting. You would think like there's all this building up to it, then they hurry to go see him, and then there's like, and they found him, and then they move on really quick. They move on in verse 17. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened. The angel had said about the child. All who heard their story were astonished. I mentioned it earlier. You see how joy is contagious. You see that there's a joy inside the shepherds that cannot be contained. They cannot help but talk about it. It's part of their story now. They're not just the shepherds in the fields. They're the shepherds in the fields who have heard the good news. They're the shepherds in the fields that have heard the good news, that are filled with joy and can't help but 
make it part of their conversation. Notice here, the shepherds are not preaching. Like this isn't uh, on their way to visit Jesus. They like sat in the back of, uh, of, of the carriage there and just started writing down all their like three-point sermon notes or anything. No, like this is them just saying, well, here's what we saw and here's what we experienced and here's the joy that we have and here's what the angel said. They're just telling their story. It's not a sermon. They're not preaching. They are sharing and telling their story. We do that regularly, right? We talk, we talk all day long. I talk a lot. My family reminds me of that constantly. Like, you talk a lot. It's like, I'm aware of that. Whether you talk a lot or not, the things that you talk about point to what you care about, right? That's true. The things you talk about point to the things that you care about. In fact, if you were to listen closely, and I challenge you, try this this week. The people around you, family, friends, coworkers, the people that you spend a lot of time around, pay attention to their conversations. Pay attention to what they talk about, and I bet you'll start to gather, they talk a lot about these things. They care about those things. They complain about this because they care about that. Listen to what people talk about, and you'll have great insight into what they value, what they deem important, and what they ultimately care about. If you were to spend a lot of time with me outside of a Sunday morning with preaching, you'll hear me talk about mainly three things. I mean, yes, there's a lot, but if I were to narrow it down and you ask the people closest to me, you're going to hear me talk a lot about Jesus. Like, truly, that is not a Sunday morning job for me. Like, Jesus radically changed my life for all of eternity. I cannot help but tell other people what he's done in my life. So I talk a lot about Jesus, talk a ton about my family. I love my family, love my wife, love my kids, love spending time with them. So you hear me talk a lot about my family. So Jesus, family, and the third one is Bucky's. I love Bucky's. I love going to Bucky's. I love visiting Bucky's. I love taking my picture with Bucky's. I love taking my kids to Bucky's. When we go up to visit our family up north, we stop at three Bucky's. One of them is us going out of our way. That doesn't make any sense on a road trip, but it's like, no, we don't want to miss Bucky's. And now my kids start to love Bucky's. It's great. We're a Bucky's family. More about Bucky's than you care to really understand, right? That's what happens. You're around somebody long enough, you notice what they talk about, you notice what they care about. So let me ask a potentially convicting question. I'll ask it of myself as well. What does your conversation say about what you value? What do your conversations, if somebody were to listen to what you talk about, what and who does that point to? Is Jesus part of that? Again, don't miss here. This isn't about you need to preach the gospel. That will come out in your story. The way we talk about this idea with our kids about telling people about Jesus is we call them God conversations. And they pop up everywhere. As we're driving down the road and, and one, of, one of my kids brings up, hey, somebody was sick today. Ah, oh, what are we supposed to do? How does, God, how does God work within sickness? Well, we're supposed to pray. That's exactly right. Why don't we do that right now? Dad, don't close your eyes. Got it. <laughs> When we're sitting at the dinner table, we talk about some of the exciting things about our day. Oh, man, isn't that great? What kind of joy did God give you in that? Just yesterday, we were having conversations. My, boy, my two boys are playing basketball. We're talking, who gave you the gift to play basketball? Yeah, it was a God thing, right? So is God part of your everyday conversation? If not, can I encourage you, because of the good news, talk about him. Because of the good news and because of who he is in your life, what if you just start making him part of your everyday conversation with your family, with the people around you? and especially the joy that's evident. Remember, joy is to be evident. And so often when people look at Christians and they see joy, they should see joy, it can get rationalized as, well, that's just your personality. Like, I am an optimist. I'm very aware of that. But that's not why I have joy. We don't have joy because of personality or because of temperament or because of being an optimist. 
We don't have joy because of our wiring or because of everything going perfect in our life. We have joy because of the good news of Jesus. Tell people that. Why are you always so joyful? Well, it's not because everything's perfect. It's because of Jesus. Why do you always have joy? It's not because I'm wired that way or I just see everything as half full. It's because of the good news of Jesus. Allow Jesus to be more and more part of your everyday conversation. That's what the shepherds did. They met Jesus, and if you're a believer, you've met Jesus. And we have a story to tell. Last thing we see them do, and this is maybe the most mind-boggling for me, is we're told that the shepherds went back to their fields. Right? Can you imagine going back to that life? Here they are. They told everybody about Jesus after they saw Jesus, and all that started because they met some angels that told them about this good news. And here they are telling everybody about Jesus, and then they go back. Verse 20, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. They went back. I almost feel like they needed a job promotion. Like here you are chosen by God to be the first to hear this good news. You saw Jesus and now you're telling everybody else about the good news and you're still shepherds? Like did they at least get a pay increase? Like did something go a little bit better for them? I feel like something in their lives needed to change. But instead they go back to the same sheep in the same fields with the same job and the same pay with the same problems. Doesn't seem like anything has changed. What did change though, if you read the passage carefully, they went back to their flocks, but they went back changed. Their situation did not change. Their job did not change. The problems and conflicts and responsibilities in their life did not change, but they themselves changed because they went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. So even if your life situations have not changed, can I just say, don't expect them to. Jesus didn't come to change the things around you. He came to change you. And when he changes you, we can walk into anything like the shepherds, glorifying and praising God. I'm going to take that passage that we just read. I'm going to do something a little different to it. I'm going to put some blanks in it. So the passage, passage we read said, and the shepherds went back to their fields, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. What if you put your name in there? What if I said, Brian went back to Monday morning trying to wake his kids up, but doing it glorifying and praising God because he realized the good news of what Jesus has done in his life. All of a sudden, every situation we walk into begins to change. Enter your name, went back to work on Monday morning, glorifying and praising God, not because maybe you love what you do, but because of what he's done for you. Maybe you go back to your family that's going through a rough time and you're glorifying and praising God, not for the hardship, but for the gift that he's given you in him and his son, and you're part of the family of God. We could go on and on and on. What do you need to go back to? What are you going to go back to? What might God not change situationally, but you can still praise God through it? See, that's the beauty of the good news. Good news that brings great joy. We praise for the great joy. That great joy causes us to praise. Because of the good news, praise him. Not because of the difficulties in life, not because of the struggles, not because of all the things you might want to change. If I was God, I would do this. You're not God. He's given you the good news. Good news that will bring great joy to everyone. That includes me and that includes you. There's bad news and there's good news. The good news is so good because we recognize how bad the bad news is. 
I mentioned pursuing God earlier. That was kind of the first thing we talked through. Um, just a side note, I've been reading through this. It's a devotional throughout December, kind of preparing your hearts and minds for Christmas and the season. It's called Come Let Us Adore Him by Paul David Tripp. If you're interested, it's a, it's a cheap Amazon buy. It's fantastic. One Devo a day, a couple, couple pages. I read this one the other day, and I wanted to read because it speaks to the bad news. Here's what he writes. There is no salvation apart from him. There is no deliverance from the presence and power of sin apart from him. There is no restored relationship with God apart from him. There is no new heaven or new earth apart from him. There is no end to sickness and suffering apart from him. There is no defeat of death apart from him. There simply is no such thing as redeeming grace and all that it means apart from the willingness of God to give us himself in the person of the Messiah, Jesus. That's the bad news. Here's the good news, that Jesus is the grace of God given to sinners who cannot free themselves from the death grip of sin. I love that last part. The good news of Jesus is that he came to do what we could not do on our own. Without him, we have no hope. Bad news, we're sinners in need of a Savior. The good news, our Savior has come. Let me end with Ephesians chapter 2. Once again, bad news. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. But thank goodness the bad news doesn't. It's not just the bad news. Without Jesus, there's just bad news. But because of Jesus, we get verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy... And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, good news, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. We are given good news that brings great joy for all people. And every single one of us needs Jesus. The question I would end with for you to think about in your hearts today is do you have joy? Not, are you happy with your life? Not, are you happy in this moment? Like, do you have joy? The kind of joy that shepherds have. The kind of joy that only comes from the good news. If you answer no to that, you are not going to find joy anywhere or from anyone else. Joy only comes from the good news of Jesus Christ. So you have to start there. And no, we're not perfect. Bad news, we're all sinners. Good news, that's why he came. So if you answer no to having joy, you start with a relationship with Jesus. Not because we earn it or deserve it, but because he loves us. If you answer yes to that, like, yes, I do have, I have joy. I have the joy that comes from the good news. May that be evident. May the excitement and anticipation, may the joy be seen as you pursue him, as you hurry after him and anticipate moments with him that you can't help but make him part of your everyday conversation. And no matter what you walk back into, we praise God for the good news we've been told. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for the, the good news. And it is good news because we recognize how bad the bad news is. Jesus, thank you so much for coming for us. Not because we deserved it. We didn't even know how to ask for it. You came because you love us that much. I pray that that good news brings great joy for us today. 
and for every single moment of the rest of our lives. No matter what we walk through, no matter what we deal with, no matter what life throws at us, that we have great joy because of the good news of you, Jesus. I pray people notice that. I pray people see that. And I pray we always hold on to that. The good news that brings great joy for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.